This morning, we continue on in our series called The Letters to the Romans, The Power of the Gospel. And we've been journeying just in the beginning of this letter and learning uh, the devastation of our state as human, human beings, as humanity, uh, our state before God, how we stand trial before him and we're awaiting judgment. And I was saying that we're going through a couple weeks of bad news of understanding who we are as human beings. And for us to understand how good the good news is, we need to understand how bad the bad news is. We keep saying that. And finally, today, we get a glimpse of the good news. We get a glimpse of who this God is that we follow and, and how he has saved us and how, what he has given us so that we can experience this new life. I, I was reading an article uh, back in May because that was right in the middle of the pandemic. We still are in the middle of it, but when it was really fierce here in Vancouver and I was reading a lot of articles because I was stuck at home and I was reading the story about these, um, the story that was happening off the coast of Australia about this sea captain who owned uh, this fleet of fishing boats uh, back in 1966. And he was sailing off to catch some fish and he was going back to Tanzania, uh, passing through uh, Tonga, which is this island uh, 5,000 kilometers southeast off the coast of Australia. Middle of nowhere, tiny, you look it up, you see it, you can bear, even on Google Maps, you zoom in, you're like, where is this? Like, you know, th there's islands that exist and the people that exist there. Uh, and so it was 1966, and there's this Peter Warner. He was sailing his fishing, fishing boat, and he was going, he decided to take a detour, and he went past this small island, and he saw in the distance, it's called Atta, this small uh, extinct volcano, volcanic island that existed that no one uh, lived on. It was the very south of the uh, Tonga Archipelago, which is a, a geography term, <laughs> a, a whole group of islands. It was the very south, very tip, so middle of nowhere, and it was deserted because uh, in the 1800s, a slave ship came onto that island and took all the aboriginals off the island and, and, and took them away uh, to a foreign land. So that island was considered to be cursed, it was considered to be deserted, and no one wanted to visit it. But what he noticed was very interesting. As he was going by this, this island, he looked in his binoculars and he saw it, uh, on the mountain cliff that there was burnt edges, that there were fires that were on this, uh, on this mountainside. And he was like, interesting, that's an extinct volcano. And also, fire doesn't spontaneously happen in the tropics. It doesn't happen because it's so moist and so wet. There's no fire. So what is going on there? And as he was looking at the cliff, he saw a boy appear. A boy appear out of the cliff, diving into the water. He was buck naked, uh, and his hair was over his shoulders, super long. He dove into the water. He was screaming and dove into the water. Uh, and, then he, and then as he kept looking, he saw a whole group of boys. Uh, coming out of the island, coming off of this deserted island and yelling and screaming, trying to get his attention and, 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 and jumping into the water. He didn't know to be terrified or not. He didn't know uh, what to do. But the first boy uh, swam all the way out into his ship and went onto uh, the top of his ship, uh, on, on board the ship, and spoke in perfect English. And he said, my name is Stephen. In perfect English, uh, there are six of us here, and we reckon it's been, six, it's been 15 months since we've been on this island. And he was astonished. He was shocked. Like, who are these boys? And he was telling, uh, the boys were telling this story how they were part of this Catholic boarding school back in the capital in Tonga. Uh, and, and they were tired of school, so they skipped school one day, and they decided to go down and steal a fishing boat. And they stole a fishing boat, a 25-foot fishing boat, and decided to go fishing, the six of them. And, and they're sailing up, and they got caught in a storm. 
uh, the rudders blew off, the sails blew off, and they were just coasting something like 300, for eight days, 320 kilometers, and the ship was sinking, and they're just bailing water out until they finally saw this small, tiny island here, and they decided to swim for it. They didn't swim a, a short distance. They grabbed the planks that they could off of the boat and swam for 36 hours uh, to this tiny island, where amazingly, all uh, six of them survived. And they've been on that island for 15 months. So this is a real-life story uh, of what it looks like when a bunch of boys get trapped on islands. Does that sound familiar? Uh, <laughs> a certain novel uh, that you might have read uh, in, in, in school. But it was 36 hours, they're trapped on this island until this boat arrives, and they see it, and they swim off uh, rejoicing. And the funny story is they, uh, this captain, Peter, he calls back to the uh, Tonga capital, and uh, the operator is in silence for 20 minutes and then comes back in tears saying that you found the boys. Uh, we already had a funeral for them. We thought they were lost. We thought they were gone, but this is some great news uh, that we are hearing. And the funny thing is when they went back to the capital city and they arrived at, on, the, on the shores, uh, the police actually came and arrested the boys because the man that they stole the boat from was so angry uh, that they stole the boat and, and decided to press charges. And they actually were put in jail <laughs> for a long time being. Uh, and this Peter, this captain, actually decided to uh, take them on. He actually paid the debt uh, and rescued them. This was a few years later, and decided to recruit them onto their fishing boat uh, and became part of his crew. And that's where they decided to work on. This is an amazing story that we hear, where the boys, they tried to get off that island time and time, time again. You've watched the movie Castaway, uh, starring Tom Hanks. You know, you see them in the movies building up his own craft, trying to escape. Well, these boys tried to do the same thing, but... They could not escape. Under their own strength, under their own power, under their own might, they couldn't do it on their own until Peter came along with his fishing boat and his crew, and that was their way off of this island. And I'm starting the story off this morning as we continue on our series in the letters to the Romans and the power of the gospel, because it reminds us here that Paul has been in a few chapters here putting us on an island as well that our backs are up against the wall. We're facing death. We have no way out. We've been trying to claw and build our own ship, if you will, uh, trying to make our own way out of this life and to save ourselves, to justify ourselves, but we just can't do it. But this morning, there is some good news that Paul offers us, that there is a way, that there is a way that maybe you haven't been looking or maybe you have received, that there is a way for us to, to, to escape from the reality that was once uh, awaiting us. And the big idea this morning is this, what God did in the public place allows us to believe and receive in the secret space. That we're going to see this morning that what was once hidden, what was once private, God has put in full display as a way for us to come out, uh, for a way for us to receive salvation, a way for us to, to believe and to have this new life that he has promised us. So what he what God does now in the public place, we can receive it in the secret space by having this faith in this God, having faith in Jesus. And we're going to expand on this as we go through the rest of this passage. In Romans 21, he starts off by saying this, but now, apart from the law of righteousness of God has testified, uh, that God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who 
believe. There's some commentators that say that the two words in the very beginning there, but now, are some of the two most beautiful words that have ever been written in human history because before this section, we were awaiting trial. We were standing guilty. We were awaiting death and, and, and awaiting terrible things for us, separation from God forever. But now, but now, but now there is the good news. But now there's two wonderful words here. That though we were standing in judgment, though we were heading in, in one direction, we're heading in a way that's towards destruction, but now there is a shift from the old to the new. That there's a shift for all of us, that from the wrath of God to the righteousness of God, to the love of God, to the grace of God, to the mercy of God, to the justification of God, all these big words that the Christian faith is, is built upon. It's kind of like that part of the movie where you see the main characters, they're backs up against the wall. It's one against 100. It's one against the bully. It's uh, 10 against the whole army. And they're awaiting death. They're awaiting trial and judgment until the Calvary arrives, <laughs> right? You know that part of the movie where you think, oh, man, they're going to be gone forever. It's like that part in the, in the battle in the two towers uh, where, 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 where Frodo is confronting that huge army for those that haven't watched the movie sort of spoiled for you and then gandalf in his great white horse appears on the hill overpearing with the whole crowd of armies like this is the kind of scene that we have for ourselves that that we were waiting death and we had no way out we were stuck right then and there but now we have this way out because the calvary arrives not in an army but in the person of jesus he is the salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way that saves us. And he tells us here that, but now, apart from the law, that there's a way, another way, another way that you once thought, remember he's speaking to the Jewish people here as well, but also for those of us that follow Scripture, that follow the ways of God, that you once thought that it was all dependent on you and your own strength, but he's saying here, apart from the law, that there is another way. He tells us there's another way from what you once thought there was. And have you ever thought about that? Uh, that? That it is possible that there's another way apart from the way that you were, that you've been living, the way that you've been striving. Maybe it is underneath your own strength. It's the way that you've been living and depending on yourself, depending on your own thinking and, and in your own understanding. But Paul here is saying that apart from that, there's another way apart from whatever it is. That maybe you've been feeling stuck in a certain kind of thinking. Uh, maybe feeling stuck because you're afraid that uh, if you move away from the normal, that it's too scary and it's too terrifying. But God is saying, I I'm creating new things here. That apart from whatever it is that human beings can do, there's a new way altogether that I provide. God is saying that the old way, the law, was good and it was perfect. But as it was, like humanity, we've twisted it. We've turned it against ourselves. So instead of giving life, we start living in a way that it leads to, leads to death. So apart from the law here, we understand this. We're to understand it in this way, that apart from the law means it's apart from human effort. That this way that we're saved, this way that we receive new life, it's not from human effort, so it can't be earned. It can't be worked for. It can't be gained. It doesn't mean you have to try harder or think more or, or believe uh, whatever it believe harder or, or, or work up some sort of emotion and some sort of, some sort of action. No, it's apart from all of that. It's nothing to do with you, but it's all from God. It's only what God can do. 
So it means that you don't need to strive anymore. That's not according to your own effort. We don't need to just trust in our own strength and trust in ourselves. We're no longer defined by what we can or can't do because God has made a way out. God is the one that has provided. And a big word and a big theme here in this section of text is the righteousness of God. And, and this morning in, in, our, uh, in our inductive Bible study, Amy was leading us through the Gospel of Mark, and she reminded us to pay attention to repetitive words that, that keep showing up in, in text. And if you weren't able to join in, I, I, I encourage you to do so. We have 16 more weeks of it at least, so you have plenty of time to at least to drop in. But a word, righteousness of God, repeats time and time again in this passage. And if I count it properly, I count it four times. It appears in verse 21, 22, 25, and 26. And we're to understand that after a long section of Paul telling us of how we need righteousness, that we need this righteousness, we need this, this in our lives, Paul now shifts and goes on in detail telling us how God has given what we need. That he has provided this righteousness to humanity for, for all of us. And this righteousness of God, we're to understand it in this way, that it's the justifying work of God. It's the way that he justifies us. Now remember last week, we're saying we can't justify ourselves. We can't make ourselves right. We can't jump up and make ourselves reach that line, that perfect standard that God has for us. So instead, God has made a, a new way altogether that if you have Jesus, that he has justified you, that he has covered you, that he's saying now you are righteous because you can't do it on your own. So I'm going to do it for you and willingly and, and, and lovingly. And the righteousness of God has been what? has been made known, has been, it's perfect, it's passive, it's happened already. It's not something that gets shifts, it's already been attained and has been made known or manifested and be revealed to us. So the righteousness of God, the way that he works, it has been made known. What was once private has been made public for us. What was once a mystery, it's full-blown out in public for us to understand that it's made known to us. And, and that's the problem that God has. Uh, the problem of God or the problem of actually all, all religion is this, that how can a good and a perfect being, uh, a good and perfect God, save humanity without tainting himself, right? Like how can God who is perfect come and mix himself with humanity without dirtying his hands or without uh, impurifying uh, himself? And Christianity's answer, which is different from any other religion there is out there, Christianity's answer is in the person of Jesus, it is the person of Jesus through the giving of his body and giving of his blood. That this is the only religion, our only understanding, a way of life that we understand that that is the way that God has provided us a way out. It's through giving up of himself for the sake of humanity. And this righteousness, we read it, read it, read it right then and there, that the righteousness is given what? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe. There, there, there can be a righteousness of God for the ungodly only because God offered up Jesus. That God offered up Jesus for you and for me. And this is for all. There's no separation there. This is for anyone that chooses to receive, that chooses to believe. When someone sends you an e-transfer, what do you have to do? We have to receive it unless you have automatic deposit, okay? Like, Okay, just go with me. Uh, uh, you have to receive the e-transfer, right? You're like, oh, interesting. In my emails, like so-and-so has sent you X amount of money uh, to repay you for the lunch that you paid for the other day. You know, let's go in that detail, but 
that, that's what I'm thinking. So there you have to say yes, accept, receive, and then it's deposited into your bank account, right? Well, this is in the same way for us to understand this, that the righteousness is given, but we also need to receive it. We have to receive it through faith. And we have to receive it in a way. And some, some, like money astounds me, especially e-transfer, because it's, it, it's not physical. It, it's all sent in faith, I guess. I hope the person gets it. And I hope you receive it. It kind of happens in this private place, right? This transaction that, that goes on. But this righteousness of God has been revealed to us through, through Jesus for all who believe. And we need to receive it in faith. We need to actually accept it. We need to click yes. We need to receive. We want to receive this deposit. And Paul elaborates on this more in the next uh, verses to come. Uh, 22b, at 23, and all the way to 25. I know in the English here, it's broken down to a few sentences, but in Greek, from verse 23, at the end of 22b, all the way to the end, this is actually one sentence. And I had a fun time <laughs> trying to understand what, what Paul was trying, trying to get at here. It's actually one sentence that's built around, all around the core of verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the main topic that this sentence is built upon, where the subject is all, all of us, people, we're the subject here, that we have all sinned, that's the action, uh, and that we have all fallen short uh, of the glory of God, which is the object of the sentence, that this, all of us, all of humanity have sinned, and all of us have fallen short. So he says this, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Notice the word right in the very beginning, there is no difference. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, meaning that whatever you thought gives you an advantage actually doesn't. Whatever strength you thought you had actually really isn't a strength because it doesn't accomplish anything. Whatever you thought once saved you actually doesn't provide you any salvation because this righteousness, this justification, this mercy that we receive, this grace that we receive isn't from anything that you've done, but it's purely from God. So there's no, there's no difference. No family history, no religious heritage, no acts of good work. There's no difference that we're all set in one direction. We're all stuck in that island. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I was wrestling with this passage. I'm like, well, what does this really mean? All have sinned. Okay, I understand that. We've all sinned, meaning we all missed the mark uh, that God had for us. And Paul expands on, we all fall short of the glory of God. And and glory in Scripture, we're to understand it all, all throughout the biblical text. Glory is the weighted presence of God. That's what that means. So we're falling short of the weighted presence of God. And in other Paul's writing, he alludes to how, how, um, how he connects how glory uh, is connected to conforming to the image of God. So when you understand living out the glory of God, when you're temple of the Holy Spirit, when the glory of God fills you, you're conforming to the image of God of God. So Paul is really alluding here that we have fallen short to the original way that God has created us to be. In the very beginning, when we had the weighted presence of God with us in the garden, that was what humanity was meant to be. 
that we had an image that we bared, and we were with God forever. We were, we're in this presence forever. But all of us, because of our sin, because we've fallen short, we are short of this, this weight. We're short of his presence. We're, we're no longer uh, emitting this original image that God has for us. So we have all wronged God, and we're all standing before the judge awaiting judgment. But just like how we have all fallen short, just like how we all, all fallen short, uh, God has also set us free forever. That God has set us free from what it is that we are once bound by. Because all have uh, sinned and all have fallen short, but he includes this part, the beautiful and amazing news here, that all are also justified. Justified freely by his grace. Justified freely by what he has done. This means all people, no matter what kind of tribe and tongue you belong to, if you have Jesus, you have salvation. If you have Jesus, you have redemption. And this redemption means, it means to redeem. That's what the word means, to redeem, to, to make free. It means in the sense of the word, it's actually a, 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 a term used in war for freeing a prisoner of war. That you paid a price, a ransom, that you had for this person, and you redeemed this person back. So we've been paid for, and that we've been redeemed through the, the payment of Jesus Christ himself. Well, you're like, well, what am I freed from? I feel pretty free right now. I came you know, to church pretty freely, whether taking the bus or walking here or, or driving here. I feel pretty free. But remember, in, in Romans 3, 9, everyone is under what? The power of sin. That we've been imprisoned by sin. We've been captured by sin. So God paid a ransom for your life, that your life isn't cheap, that the seats that we're sitting on isn't cheap. I'm not talking about the wood that we're sitting on right here. <laughs> I'm talking about the, the lives that we have here and this relationship we have in Jesus Christ. It isn't cheap. That the table that we sit on later on as we celebrate communion and remember that seat that we sit on in the presence of Jesus at his table was an expensive seat that was paid for through the blood and the life of, of Jesus Christ. Now you're thinking about, well, we're asking Paul, well, how was this done? How did we exactly, how have we been paid for? And he continues on saying this, that God presented Christ as what? As a sacrifice of, as atonement. So he gave Christ and he presented Christ as a sacrifice of of, of, of atonement. Uh, so uh, it's very interesting here to see this passage and to wrestle with this, that God presented Christ. What does that mean? Like, you no, know, Christ is a present. Uh, you know, it, was he a gift to us? Like, yes, we are to understand it in that way. But we're also to understand this, that God presented or he put forward Jesus. That he put forward Christ. That he made Christ a more literal translation for presented is he made Christ publicly available. He made Jesus publicly available as a sacrifice of atonement or even bigger theological word, propitiation, which if you read in some translations, which this means the removal of wrath. So sacrifice of atonement or propitiation, this means the removal of wrath. So God presented, gave Christ forward as a removal of the wrath that we were once deserving that was once awaiting for us. That literally, uh, that word for sacrifice of atonement is one word in Greek, and it means mercy seat. 
is the mercy seat uh, that, that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, I'll go to the picture I showed it already. But the mercy seat, which says here, is a word that we use for sacrifice of atonement. So, so follow along with me. I know this is hard. I'm trying to wrestle with it myself. That God presented Jesus, so showed Jesus publicly as the mercy seat. That's the more literal translation of this passage. That in Old Testament, that the mercy seat was the covering that protected the Ark of the Covenant. That every single year, once a year, the high priest would go behind the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood over the mercy seat because they believed that this is where God presented himself. And a sacrifice had to be made on top of the Ark of the Covenant, on top of the mercy seat specifically, so that their sins could be atoned for. Every single year. And the high priest had to go in with a rope behind, around, tied around his waist. Might that he dropped dead from his uncleanliness. That Jesus is now presented as this. That what was once hidden in the holy of holies, that was presented behind the curtain that no one could see except for the high priest once a year, has been made fully displayed on Calvary. Fully displayed in public. Fully displayed for everyone to see made available for everyone. And it wasn't because we deserved it. It wasn't because we've done anything. But God willingly and, uh, willingly and graciously chose to do this. That what was once hidden in private before in the Old Testament has now been made public through Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, which will go on later, once and for all. Guys, this astounds me. I don't know how you feel about that. But what was done in secret, God has made known to you. The secret of the way that he works, the way that he operates in this universe, that he would choose to save you and me, even though we did not deserve it, even though we were stuck, even though we were awaiting judgment. That what was done in secret has now been made known for you, that you have been given the secrets of the kingdom, that God has revealed this to you. What was made public at the same time, though, it's fascinating. Even though the mercy seat was once in private, now it's made public. What Paul is saying and what Jesus has done is that what has been made public, you also need to receive in private. That you need to receive it in faith. That it's not by actions anymore. You don't need to do these, 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 um, uh, these rituals anymore. You don't need to strive. You don't need to work according to the law. You need to believe. You need to receive it in the secret place in your heart. You need to own it. You have to, that's where the seat is now, the mercy seat. That's, it's in your heart. That's where the, the blood of Christ is now covering. That's where the body was broken for you. That's where it is now. Not somewhere out there, but personally, right in the center and the core of who you are. And Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, who made, uh, who made publicly available for all of us, he removed his wrath. By what? By, by his blood that we see this in, in the passage here, that he demonstrated this, that he, he did this uh, by his blood. And it's very specific here in this text that it was the shedding of, of his blood. It was the shedding of, of his blood. That was the shedding of, of, of Jesus specifically, that his blood. It's not some other animal's blood. It's not some other sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice you can do on your own, but it's Jesus himself. That specifically, the removal of wrath is by his blood blood specifically. That is the way of atonement. That is the way that it's been removed uh, from you. And also, again, I've been saying this, and this is really important to the core of 
our faith. In fact, there's the five solas in, 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 in the Christian faith that we understand. And one of the solas is sola fide, which is Latin for in faith by faith alone. That we understand that we are to receive Jesus by faith. That, that, that it needs to be received through faith. It's not something we can do. Uh, we can be made right, not by our own actions, but simply by receiving, by clicking yes to that e-transfer, by clicking yes to God, by jumping on to that boat that came to the island. We need to say yes to that. We need to receive it in faith. Our right standing, understand this, guys. This is really important. Our, our right standing with God is not something you can do. It's something you receive. It's something that you simply receive because of what Jesus has done. Faith is the only way to receive Jesus. Faith is the only way. And even though Jesus has been put forward, you still need to say yes. And I think some of us haven't said yes yet. We've heard the good news. Uh, we've heard the good news of Jesus. And maybe we thought of said yes, but we haven't actually said yes yet. Because when we understand belief in scripture, belief is connected to proclamation that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That there's a receiving of that. We understand that when we, it's because you're like, well, have faith in Jesus, have faith in Jesus. We say that in Christianese all the time, but what does that mean? It means actually you've accepted Jesus as your Lord. I've accepted him as my Savior, that he is my life, that he is my salvation. He is my way out. He is my way through life, my way through to have this amazing relationship with God. And he did all of this too. It was made publicly and our, our, our wrath was removed. He did this, why? As a demonstration of his love for us. It was a demonstration of his righteousness. Through chapters one to beginning of, of three, we're like, well, God sure seems like a mean guy. God sure seems like it's, this is all unfair. I didn't do anything. You know, we're still trying to justify our own actions. But God, we're understanding here that God is saying that he demonstrated all of this righteousness to show us that he is righteous, that he is just, that he, is, he has forbearance, that he has patience for us, for patience for you, and that he passed over these previously committed sins. Not that he turned a blind eye, but he knew that you were stuck on your own way. But he knew salvation was coming, Calvary was coming. And he knew that he was going to give you Jesus and give you an opportunity to respond. So the passage continues saying in chapter 3, verse 6, he did it, did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He demonstrates his justice. He dem demonstrates his justification for all of us to show you just how far he would go for you, to show you just how loved you are. So Paul ends the chapter by saying this, where then is the boasting? How can after hearing all of this, you can still say it is because of what you have done? It is excluded because of, of what? Of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And next week, we're going to go on speaking about how Abraham was justified by faith as well as he was 
living before Jesus' time. As we end here this morning, we see this, that the gospel, this good news, this righteousness, this covering, this removal of sin is to be received by faith, but it's available to all. It's available uh, to all. It's available to anyone who chooses to receive. And I know this illustration doesn't do it justice, but this is where my mind jumped to. I love Church's Chicken. And I was lining up for Church's Chicken, and it was a huge long lineup. This was a couple years ago. This was when they were still giving out paper coupons. And, and I was second in line. Uh, and then when I finally pulled up to the table, I t- pulled up to the, ven- uh, to, the, to the vendor, I realized I didn't have my coupon book. I was like, no, I wanted my four pieces. <laughs> but then when I went up, to the, went, up to the, went up to the front and I was like, hey, I have a coupon. Uh, I had a coupon. I thought I didn't have it. And she's like, oh, this coupon right here? I'm like, yeah, that one. It's like, I don't have it. I can't give it to you, though. She's like, well, the coupon's actually for everyone. Uh, it's actually freely given out. Like, oh, I'm like, I thought I needed the coupon. I thought I needed this in order to get this deal, to get this meal. She's like, nope, we have the coupon here. It's actually, you just need to let us know that you want it. Uh, and I'm able to cover you. And I'm thinking for many of us that we're thinking, yes, maybe we don't have the coupon. You're thinking in life, you've been striving for your own. You've been striving, 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 thinking that you're not good enough when Jesus is saying, I'm here for you the whole time. That you just need to receive me. That you need to love me. You need to have this experience with me. That God has made the gospel universal for all. So stop trying to build the boat by yourself and get on the boat that's there for you already. Stop trying to get off the island on your own strength and go by the way that God has provided for you. What was fascinating with that story that I told was that every single morning, even though these six boys were stuck on the island, they had a routine of who did what. And every morning and every night, they started off with prayer and worship for for 15 months. They didn't know what was going to happen, but that was their dedication. They're saying, God, we need you. We need you to bring salvation. We need you to save us. And even if the boat never came, they said they were still going to worship all the way until they saw Jesus face to face. The questions I have for you this morning are this. If God has already presented Christ, why are you still striving? Why are you still striving? Why are you trying to still earn it? If God has already made a way, why are you still trying to find your own way? Perhaps this morning is for you to fully surrender, to fully click yes and accept, and to say, God, this is what I need, and I need you. Second question is this. Have you received Jesus? And the question isn't just some time long ago is, are you still receiving Jesus today? Have you still said yes to Jesus this morning when you woke up? Or if you're wrestling with this, how are you striving to earn your own salvation today? Because the temptation is too real for those of us that have accepted Jesus for a long time, where you're tempted day in and day out to find your own identity and your own significance apart from Jesus Christ. But here in this passage, it's clear that God has made publicly and full on display his love for you. But you have to receive it inwardly. You have to understand this. So where are you tempted to feel prideful? And where are you boasting in something other than Jesus? And you need to come before him today. Because this grace is freely given to you and to me and for all that receive. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your good news. We thank you, God, that you have given your blood freely and your body freely, that we can come, Lord, 
and have this relationship with you. God, though we don't deserve it, though we were lost, though we were stuck, you came and gave us Jesus. Not in a way that doesn't mean anything or we just reject on the side, but it is the very essence of our lives, God, that when we have this relationship with you, we have freedom and we have life. So God, I pray for everyone here listening live and also online. God, I pray for all of us that we will receive you into our hearts once again, that we will stop striving and stop trying to earn our own significance, but you're already fully displayed on the blood and on that cross and by your body, just how loved we are. And today, Lord, may we sit in that. May we receive that. But the action this morning actually isn't to strive, but it's to sit and to be still and to receive. Thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us before we even knew you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.